Mike Edwards is an artist known for his text-based portraits, images made up of words which create a kind of double resonance within each painting. His neon work too has been an area in which he's been developing. Using skull imagery in a kind of pop art setting, they play to concepts around ideas and the illuminated mind. Music too clearly has an impact on his work. Playing the clubs of Camden in the 90s, he would balance his music with a fledgling art career in those early days. This is art-related noise. We started experimenting with painting. There's so many avenues of art. We're surrounded by images. Just being lost in this sea of possibility. Announcing that I was going to be an artist. It brings the work I do alive even more. They could be part of this work as well. Everyone's got their own personal connection to something. Hello and welcome to this Enter Gallery uh, podcast. I'm with Mike Edwards. Hi, Mike. Hello. We're in Brighton. It's uh, just after lockdown. How's how have uh, things been for you? We've just come out of the second second lockdown. We've finally managed to meet. We have. Yeah, for artists, yeah, we work we work in sort of isolation. So I can still go to the studio. I can still make work. In terms of like you know the day to day kind of making art, nothing's really changed in that in that sense. Yeah. You've been able to sort of continue then. It's just been business as normal to some extent. Yeah. With you. Yeah. I mean, like you know, we're sort of. Uh, we work alone in our kind of uh, in our spaces. We're, we're not sort of mixing with anybody, and um, you know it's kind of what you what you desire. You want a kind of quiet life, clear mind, and a space to make art. The less in, in interruptions, the better. In some way, it's an ideal circumstance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could be, could be, yeah. I, was, I remember um, we wanted. To, I wanted to talk to you a bit a bit before about the Andrew Retherall piece that you you created yeah um i remember you you did that piece and it was just after he passed away yeah can we start with just talking about that piece and well that's a, that was a commission piece so it's um somebody who knew andy weatherall came to me and wanted a wanted a commission a, a piece and wanted it uh sort of created out of all the sort of artists and musicians that he'd worked with as a kind of it was a sort of um a sort of a tribute i suppose now the thing is about those kind of text pieces, they take an absolute age to make. They take about six to eight weeks to make one finished piece. So that's two months' work. You know, obviously paying an artist for two months on a commission is really expensive. So so what I've done in the past and what I suggested to um, uh, the guy that wanted to commission this was that he pays a sort of uh, a nominal fee and then I recoup the sort of... Uh, the time on it by releasing a limited edition and that's kind of how it's worked on quite a few of the pieces that I've done that's how that came about but yeah he was a kind of he, he didn't I didn't even worked with him but he was a musician himself and he just wanted this tribute uh he wanted it sort of solidified if you like this this kind of immense contribution that um that Andrew Weatherall had kind of made to so just to visualise it, the piece mm. that you because you you mentioned quickly, you know, uh, using the words there, the piece yeah. it looks like Andrew. It's a picture, it's a portrait yep. of him. Yep. But it's made out of text. Imagine like a, a humongous list of about two hundred and fifty artists that he's worked with. I mean, you, it's about it's just a list. Yeah, it's literally a list of of bands, you know, singers, artists, producers. Uh, these are all people that have been inspired by him, or he's or he's worked with, or he's produced, or he's kind of been, you know, part of in a kind of, um, you know, DJing kind of sense. You know, Andrew Weatherall's part of a kind of scene that was, you know, it's quite a close knit 
kind of community almost of sort of that scene that he was part of and, and very much kind of uh, almost the king of. I had to be very sensitive about how I put I put it out into the world. You know, I wanted to make sure that people knew it was uh, it was a commission piece from a friend and it was made with love. Mm. You know, that was the idea of it. I think it's a good segue to take us into those sort of text-based pieces in in general because when I I look at your work uh, that's what I go to that's my go-to image from a Mike Edwards piece those beautiful use of text and Mm. the calligraphy that you use what got you into that how did that idea even happen did it even start come up on it was like um it was kind of a a transition from I used to make I used to make these um paintings out of pixels and uh I had I had a piece in Habitat like quite a few years ago it was a kind of portrait of Twiggy and it's just literally pixelated images it was you know probably going on for 15 16 years ago and sort of starting to kind of experiment with digital imagery and things like that and I thought it was a cool way of making paintings a digital kind of feel but they were still sort of made in an analog way and uh, and I started I started painting you know sort of I suppose pop icons things like that and I'd done, I'd done a sort of pixel painting of John Lennon. I just had an epiphany one, one evening where I thought, if I replaced a pixel with a letter, then you could actually tell a story. You'd actually be able to read it and see the, the image at the same time, the portrait at the same time. And that was when, uh, so that's when I started experimenting with it. And, and that was the first piece was a John Lennon. And I just thought, what what what, what words shall I use? I'm the walrus, so I just used uh, the lyrics from "I'm the walrus, I'm the eggman" because it's all nuts and kind of crazy kind of um, words. So you can then read it and see the picture at the same time. And and I sort of sort of hung it on the kind of pop icons uh, as a sort of way of experimenting, you know, with the actual technique and the and the process and things like that. But what I wanted to do was um, tell a story uh, of the person that's being portrayed because I thought like if you kind of knew some background about the person that you're looking at it kind of alters the way that you look at them visually or you see them visually so um, I, I, I did a portrait of a friend of mine who, who had a, 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 an experience of cancer for like three years and he wrote a, um, he wrote a diary of his experience I spoke to him and we sort of praised it down into this sort of short story. I mean, thankfully he was fine at the end. He came out the other side and he survived. But it was it was one of those really kind of compelling human stories and, you know, life-changing experience. I did a huge portrait of him, a big sort of, you know, six-foot-sized painting made out of that story. And that was the kind of form, if you like, brought two languages together, visual language and the sort of written language. And it, it, hopefully it creates a sort of a third kind of f- form. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like it's like a little bit, it's 3D, but it's not 3D. Mm-hmm. It has a sort of hidden depth yeah. to it. You can't, you can't just go past it. And then you, your, your eye is drawn immediately to the image and then you go deeper. Yeah, you can make that choice. If you, you can see the image and it can either draw you in visually. And if it does, once you're drawn in, it then sort of gives you something extra as well. And then you can think about it. You know, you can, I mean, that's the thing about words, isn't it? If you read words, they create images in your mind. And then there's a whole other kind of thing. If you can read something, it's got an image in your mind, but you're reading an image, 
and seeing a different image, there's a whole kind of language there that yeah. you know that's got a lifetime of exploration. Oh, you're asking yourself yeah. different questions every single time, aren't you? Yeah. Well, just, how can you, you know, how how can I <coughs> progress this, ch challenge this, or say something? profound how can i communicate even if it's not profound how can i communicate something you know light and fluffy whatever it is but it's sort of creating a, a, a form of an art form if you like that has that kind of capability that's the language that i'm trying to explore and continue with and it keeps on keeping on i keep getting better but in terms of sense that I'm able now to be much more sort of relaxed and natural about making the works as to the first the first ones were like really kind of stiff and awkward and a bit formal, you know. To experiment in art, so I don't have any other income, so that's it. I've never had a job or anything like that, so I've always painted and, and tried to earn money from painting. When I kind of made a decision to start making a body of work, body of sort of pop art, I suppose, right at the beginning of the... Uh, at the turn of the century. <laughs> what a mad thing to Gosh, say. Gosh, I know. Right at the turn of the century. It sounds like a friggin' impressionist design. <laughs> well, so I made that decision to kind of start making um, kind of pop-related paintings and works because it was a way of creating an income from it. At the same time, I can experiment. It pays for the uh, R&D, if you like. You know, so what? So if you look at, uh, I mean, one of the very, very early Bowie paintings that I did, I mean, again, they're, they're huge paintings. They just look so stiff and awkward, and all the letters are joined up, and you can't read the words. How long ago it. is this sort of? Thing? What sort of time scale are we think, talking about? Two thousand three, two thousand four, really, kind of ages ago. <laughs> but and the thing is, I mean, it's really weird because. It's only now I'm starting to think I'm, I'm getting a hang of how, how to do it. So, so I'm, we'll probably talk about this uh, NHS portrait that I'm doing. And it's so much more fluid and natural and kind of feels more spontaneous. Mm -hmm. and, and because of that, it kind of contains this energy. Good works of art have that energy contained in them. Yeah. Well, we may as well talk about the NHS portrait now, actually. Mm -hmm. so, so this is in a, is, is in a similar, similar style. Yep. Tell me about where this came from and, 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 and what it is. So the NHS portrait sort of came about in the first lockdown. There's a portrait artist called Thomas Croft who started this project to sort of reward NHS workers by gifting them a piece of art, like a portrait of them, and he offered this up sort of via Instagram. And it just became wholly oversubscribed and... and you know, I think artists just felt really powerless. I think a lot, of, as many people did, or we all did, felt really powerless in that uh, in that first lockdown when the NHS was really kind of at full tilt, and it was a way that you could have some kind of input, or, f or felt like you had some kind of power to give something. Fair enough, we can clap on our on our doorsteps. But there's something more kind of, I don't know, more physical, if you like. And a work of art is such a, is such a sort of precious human object that to give that as a gift to uh, an NHS worker, I think, I think it was just, just a really rich and valuable thing to do. And he started this thing off, and I thought, well, I could, I could, I could say, look, I'll do a, a portrait of a NHS worker, and you know, I can paint 
normally, if you want to call it that, and just do a, a painting that kind of looked like the NHS worker. Or I could use this form that I've developed to try and preserve the story. You know, what, what, are, the, what are they seeing that we don't see and that they have to take home every night, go to bed with it, and it's in their head? What is that story? And how can we somehow preserve it or, or synthesize it in a work of art that will be there forever. I said to Thomas Croft, I said, look, I, I love what you're doing and I want to contribute it, but rather than, I, I want to add an extra dimension to it, if you like. I want to do the, the painting for the NHS worker, but I also want to do a big work of art that I feel will somehow preserve this story. And so I, I, I kind of put my NHS for Heroes sign up on Instagram. And there were, there was, there was tons of people got in touch. But I said, you know, specifically, I, I, want, I want the real deal. I want to know the shit that you've gone through and the fucking terrible stuff that you've experienced. A few people then kind of were like, oh, I don't, know what, I don't want to tell that story, you know, or they didn't want to kind of... Uh, sort of raise their head above the parapet for whatever reasons. But I had one really good response from a, a respiratory consultant. Uh, he works at a hospital in London and uh, he was one of the first doctors to treat COVID patients in the UK. He was right, he, I think he, he treated the, the fifth person with COVID because he's a, obviously a specialist and he's right there on the front line. He said, I want to be involved and I want to tell my story. And I said, well, that's fine. Let's, it's going to be a big painting and I'll do a painting for you. First of all, we need a picture. Obviously, I can't go and take his photo. So he had to send me a selfie. So we've started with just a selfie. It's almost, you know, you know, he's making quite a solid contribution to this painting. It's his photograph that he's taken and it's his story. Yeah. And so... Um, I sort of worked out how you'd get all these, um, how you how you would fit words into you know, the shape of his head and his portrait, and sort of said to him the number of words that um, uh, I'd require, and if you could send me the story. So we'd had a bit of backs and forwards, and he sent me this unbelievable, compelling account of being on the front line of uh, of the pandemic. It gives a little bit of medical sort of context, but also a really personal story you know he he actually ended up getting covid gave it to his wife they, they thought their daughter was going to pick it up he felt like he was going to die he wrote his will and then there was the sort of the day-to-day -day, uh experiences of running out of morphine on their wards of nurses praying that they would you know survive their shift pretty heavy stuff you forget what it was like now exactly uh, it was pretty scary yeah back yep. then and if you were on the front line you know taking in those initial patients they didn't know how to treat this stuff at that time absolutely it's dangerous work yeah and and uh, you know and I mean, it's all in this piece of writing it's only 350 words there were bodies piling up on beds like waiting to be taken to the mall and it is it, it's that thing of like those stories in the Second World War that you got, only now some of them are coming out, and you just go, God, if how can we preserve this? It's a kind of it is a bit of a lest we forget kind of moment because, you know, with spin and the busyness of life, vaccine will all be back on, and that would be distant history. So that was the, that was the sort of reason for trying to just 
tell that specific story. So that's what's uh, yeah. I'm in the middle of that right now. So describe so. it to me. Is it is it, is it still a portrait of him? That using yep. that soap and then yep. the words of that story just yep. just going through. Yeah, you can just you walk up to. So the um, he's he's having a small one for his house. So it's about sixty by eighty centimeters. And then the big one's 160 centimetres high, so that's like... And where would that go? Where, I don't know, yeah. Uh, well, I'm just going to... When it's finished, it's like, that's it. It's a, it's a, it's a piece of art. It's weird, because like when I did my friend out of his story of, of his cancer experience, you know, it was just... It was in the back of the studio for a couple of years. And then some, there was a couple of guys came down from a gallery in London. They were scouting for, for new talent. And they saw it and they said, yeah, this is amazing we want this in the gallery and I was like are you, are you sure it's a great thing you'd have on your wall you know what I mean a story of cancer and they're saying let's try it out and it did I just sold it in about five days it it sold and I thought wow that's I've made some portraits of John Lennon and David Bowie to try and work out how to develop this kind of language and now I've kind of created something that's a bit more profound and that's that also is relevant and it's kind of those little turning points as you're making work. You go, okay, I've, I've got my hands into something now and go and explore what else we can do. Well, it must so. be you know, interesting when, you, when you, you look at where you are now and the, 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 work, the, the specific work on the NHS that you're talking about now. And then you say, well, okay, I'm going to look back on my journey to yeah. how, I, how I got here and the different evolutional yeah. steps throughout the way. That yeah. must be a really interesting... Yeah. But it's also, you do think, you, you know, you do those... I do commissions, I do limited editions... But you also need to have that that real reason for making art. You want you you want to be able to make something that has real striking relevance as well, because there's the sort of tangible commercial as elements of you know selling some paintings or what have you. But there's the in, intangible elements of making art, and that's like to kind of communicate something to people to make them feel something whether they feel great or 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 they're moved in a different way and i think that's the you know that's all part of being an artist so i'm getting some some underlying references to your love for music here as well so you've you've mentioned a couple of musicians there. is that yeah. is that a key inspiration for at the heart of some of your work as well just just general music? just music yeah i mean i used to be a musician what did you play? What was you... Well, I played guitar and piano and drums, but I was in bands playing drums. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, oh, I played. <laughs> I, I was going to say, like, yeah, yeah. I, I used to be a musician, and then say, and you were going, and I knew you'd say, oh, what did you play? And I, I'd, I'd say drums, and, you, and then there'd be like a million drummer jokes, isn't it? That's not a musician and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, guitar and piano, drums, just music is so kind of immediately in me around it's part of everything that I do and it's part of everything we all do we all have a soundtrack to our lives right you know the rhythm the kind of the feel the emotion whatever we're kind of doing in life we have this music in our heads it's it's funny because like making the uh making the paintings out of letters that are of musicians does have a kind of rhythmic kind of quality to it has a very kind of you know if you imagine notes no, you know notes of music on a on a music manuscript has a visual rhythm and that's what the letters do as well so i think there's a kind of real connect there i'm, I'm interested in exploring your early history then on music mu your musical career here what what tell me about that what just was... i was in bands i was in like brit pop bands in the 90s floating around camden you know 
playing in the playing the Dublin Castle and the the Camden, the Monarch, the Falcon, all those kind of places. Absolutely buzzing, brilliant. Hung out with Blur a little bit. Did their backdrop for one of their tours. But I mean, you know, nothing. Uh, I, I wasn't in any famous bands. We never <laughs> did that thing of like, you know, had record companies come and see us and then not quite kind of get the deal. But but just the sheer joy of. You know, I'd paint during the day and play drums in Camden at night. Bloody brilliant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely, yeah. right. And, and you know, you, you, you mentioned some iconic places there, mm. you know, in Camden at that particular time, yeah. in the Britpot scene. Well, there's the Good Mixer. On. I don't know if you know the Good Mixer, right in the centre of Camden. That was the sort of, uh, that was sort of Britpop central. You know, you walk in there and there'd all be like, you know, members of, I don't know, Lush and who else was there? Like Elastica, Blur. Well, yeah, they all kind of sort of hung out. Oasis, yeah, yeah. hanging around there. It's cool. <laughs> so you're doing that and the art at the same time. Yeah. So art by day and, and music. Yeah, by So uh, what yeah. sort of art were you doing at that particular time? I wasn't really making um, um, art art. I was, I was more of a kind of artisan painter because I was a scene painter and set painter and things oh. like that as well. That's, that's how I kind of made money. And in the 90s, every Italian restaurant wanted uh, a scene of a kind of Tuscan landscape kind of painted in their restaurant. And uh, so I, I was the is, guy that did that. Is that right? Yeah. Because uh, I can completely visualise that. Are there any surviving Tuscan uh-huh. landscape type scenes in, in a Camden restaurant somewhere? There, there will be, I guess. I don't know. I haven't got a clue. But that was my sort of professional sort of job. And that's how... You know, I worked for uh, Roger Taylor from Queen, went to his house and I was a sort of specialist decorator, I suppose, as well. I had a sort of little, I don't know, a little name for myself for, like, in London for a bit. And you did album covers? You've done a few album yeah, covers? Yeah, that, that was because uh, I was in bands and I was, uh, you know, when I was at uni, I was doing sort of more sort of fine art photography at the time. So I had some photography kit and it was just because I knew bands and they wanted, they wanted some photography done for their, for their sort of covers. It was just literally mates of mates. Oi, mate, can you do us a, a photo for me record cover? That was it. But again, small-time indie bands that, you know, were floating around. It was, and I wasn't the designer. I was just literally taking, taking photos. Doing the images, yeah. 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 You know, music, you know, I have music on in the studio. It's just something that is just part of the, the kind of richness of... Of life, my mum and dad never had music on in our house. It was like a silent house, a ticking clock. I mean, Jesus, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. You know, I like the buzz and the noise and the kind of energy of. It seems like it's intimately connected with you. I mean, just looking at you now, and we're, we're on audio, but immediately I can see you. You're you're sitting up in your chair. You your arms are waving. Just when you're talking about music, and see the body language yeah. change. Well, it's the fire. That's what I think. I think you know some. I feel like music painting art is a fire of life. It sounds like you've got a little bit of the perfect storm there. So if you've got the right music on in the, in the studio, you've got the right thought going on, do you just, do you just find yourself transforming, just, just, it does, just going into it? It's really weird because, you know, making art, making paintings, it's quite a, it's quite a disciplined process. And you'd be really surprised how boringly disciplined it has to be for it to work. There might be a whole kind of morning of silence while I'm thinking, just working stuff out. And then there'll be, say there's a stage in a painting or a stage in, in, in sort of thinking um, of a work where sort of part of the process that doesn't require that cerebral bit, it just need, it's just, 
it has to be done. So, for example, like one of the stages of doing a text painting is I have to once I've worked out the text where it's going to go, then I just have to paint it, block it in in one flat colour, and it's really therapeutic actually because it is literally painting writing in one colour, and that's when music can come on and you just drift off and just fly. But then there's the bits where it's like, man, how are we going to work this shit out? How do we work out that bit on that thing? And I have to switch off the music. You know, there's like, you know, people, there was somebody on Twitter the other day saying that they have to switch the radio off when they, when they reverse, when they reverse park. It's that kind of thing. You drive along and you've got the music on. You think, right, oh, I've got a, I've got a park here. I better switch the music on so it doesn't interfere in me parking. It's a kind of a little bit like that sort it's, of thing. It sounds similar, that analogy to, to your, your painting style then, yeah. So you, you, you're either in autopilot and you're going, yeah. or yeah. you're going into first and you're yeah. reversing a little bit and you're, yeah, you're doing what you need to do, yeah. concentrating a bit more. Yeah. i tell you what I have on in the studio the most is a radio station called Platform B. And they're a Brighton radio station. I want to big them up because they, they are just absolutely brilliant. And it's broadcast out of the Green Door store, which is the venue just underneath the Brighton train station. Right. You know, it's just young people putting some great music out. There's no news. There's no talking. There's no kind of weather. It's like just cool people broadcasting cool music. No adverts. I don't know how they bloody pay for it. But it's there, and it, you can get it on FM, or you can get it on your wow. on your on your um, you know online, what have you. It's local bands as well, sort of local. Stuff. Yeah, bits of local stuff, and it's but it's what what they've got is a kind of a sort of vibe that is perfect for kind of having on the studio. It's kind of it's not too invasive, but it's still cool music and it's new, and that that suits me perfectly. It's just on in the yeah. back. It's there. Uh, it's cool. It's like FIP. Do you know? Do you remember FIP? That's the kind of that was, I think, the the template for for Platform B. And what happened was the French broadcaster and they would just broadcast cool music with no news, no uh, talking or anything. And some geezer in Brighton used to somehow pick it up from France and rebroadcast it across Brighton. And he did that for years. And then he got like shut down, found out, and all that. But now you can actually get FIP on a on an app. But it's that it's that same sort of same sort of thing. It's like put together by people who really know about music. I wanted to go on to a, another element of your painting now because you've got a few in the Enter Gallery actually. Because that's what we're talking about the Enter Gallery podcast. Yeah. I've just seen uh, your neon paintings mm. that's gone and actually one's just sold. I think. Mm. Tell me about the neon work. Well, that's been bubbling away for about five years, sort of alongside the text works. And I've, and I've been, again, it's like, it's one of those things where I've had an idea, but I don't know how to do it. So I've kind of, I've had that simmering sort of side by side for ages, actually. Just recently, I think this year, I've kind of cracked it and I know what I want it to say and what, it, what, what I want it to do. Yeah, I'm kind of, sort of really excited about it, actually, because I've got an absolute mountain of these paintings to do. I mean, I, I've started with this kind of skull motif, which is a kind of sort of a pop motif. But it has, I, I want to sort of I want it to kind of be sort of a metaphor for thinking about things. Mm. That's the idea. The illuminated mind, if you like. Oh, is that is that? The, the intention yeah. behind it then it's like progressive thinking or like ideas I, I, ideas are what make humans tick that's how we get through stuff and so how do I kind of create an image that sort of says 
ideas. It's really badly explained. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a, an abstract yeah. vibe from it. Then, yeah, yeah. Then a little bit. Is would that be right? Is sort of you have you're you're thinking of I don't know. Let me put words into your mouth. You're thinking of an idea. You're thinking this is a concept. How do I articulate that in? In Canada, is that the sort of thing? What it was, what it was, was I was trying to think. I was, I was thinking like, you know, we all see the world in different ways. So we, we go through life, we have our own in, in individual experiences and we have our own sort of thoughts on those individual experiences. So there is no one truth. I, I didn't say this, by the way, but there, there's a saying, there is no one truth, there is only many truths because that's how we as individuals see the world. And so... The idea was to have a motif that could kind of illustrate how we as people kind of float through the world, but at the same time, the world floats through us. The mind floats through the world, the world floats through the mind. So I got this motif, I've made it out of neon because I was thinking of the idea of the illuminated mind. The clever people out in the world that float through the world and sort of solve problems for us you know what I mean like that like the Tesla it's got such kind of unbelievably high-grade air filters in it that as it drives it doesn't emit anything it actually cleans the air as it drives I was like what a mad concept that is yeah. I just think that is amazing that if I said you know we're all talking about climate change we've got to get cars and we've got to stop having sort of emissions and whatnot and somebody says well here's an idea why don't when cars drive they clean the air and you just go yeah absolutely brilliant I love that I love those kind of ideas that I've never seen before that's what excites me I like art that I've never seen before I try and make art that I've never seen but you know I, I can make a I can oil paint my socks off and do a seascape or a landscape but I'm more excited about making things that I have never seen before the the skull motif it's a motif that has been in human culture since the get-go since we're cavemen primitive it's a poor word to use but early human culture throughout culture there's always skull motifs I wanted to kind of use this sort of skull motif to connect with that longevity. At the same time, I'm a huge fan of pop art. You can see the kind of the cultural, more contemporary cultural skull images, if you like. And I'm and I'm sort of thinking of the smiley face, and I'm thinking of Keith Haring's Radiant Baby. It's not a skull, but I'm just thinking of these uh-huh. motifs that kind of stick with us in, in sort of perhaps more contemporary culture cause cross-eyed mickey you know and it was it was just about a continuation if you like of how you represent the skull as a represented representation of human culture but with a nod to these recent cultural sort of images and icons but at the same time referring to that history if you like and and the idea of the neon was to contemporify it, but at the same time, it then also suggests that it's it's lit up. It's a mind that's lit up. It's a mind that's illuminated. It's a mind that's on fire. And how long has this been? Have you been doing the neon paintings? And what sort of time? So I mean, I started experimenting about five or six years ago. I've I've done these paintings of kind of classical motifs with a with a bit of street art kind of vibe to them as well the idea being again a sort of a a nod to history and cultural history 
and I did a painting called Bellini Fellini and there was a kind of reference to Bellini the Renaissance painter actually I think he, he kind of developed oil painting for heaven's sake you know and was involved in developing how you presented perspective like some scholar might say it might not be him might be somebody else but I'm sure it was, he was and Fellini Federico Fellini was the uh, Italian film director in the 20th century who was part of the futurists again people who think ahead and so I'd done this painting that that had these kind of classical and urban art sort of references in but I needed something to I sort of visualize visualize modernity and I, I came up with the idea of uh, neon rain and so I kind of painted these sort of neon strips over this painting and but I, in a sort of really sort of Trump loy classically painted sort of 3D way so it looks like they're pinging out of the paint, painting and that was one of the sort of first times where I started making art using this idea of a kind of painted neon as a kind of a symbol of contemporariness the way it's rendered is like a, you know it's like a 17th century trompe l'oeil painting where you know they used to do the yes. the kind of like really realistic uh, violins hanging on a on a wall and uh, and stuff like that and the, there was all those stories when they started inventing or, or they started invent, they resolved how to kind of depict perspective they resolved how to depict things in a really super hyper realistic way you know, this is like sort of 15th, 16th century, you would have the painters come into the court and they'd have painted like a bird so realistically. There's an old story, I can't remember it totally off. This is my version of it. You know, the Baron would sort of uh, bring in his dog and he would sort of show the dog the painting. And if the dog kind of reacted and wanted to try and get the painted bird, then the painter got his money because he'd kind of rendered it in such a perfect way. So I'm kind of like fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by that trick of the eye, I suppose. That's mm. what Trompe-Loy is, mm. because that's part of art, you know, artifice, you know, the illusion. You can create this illusion of life to kind of portray life. I like the fact that those two elements, superly hyper-realistically painted over the top of something that's really scuzzy and kind of crazy and that's what that, so I progressed those into these neon paintings where I've had paintings that are quite abstract expressionist where you just absolutely lose it on the canvas with the paint and then you put this super sort of strict hyper realistic neon painted over the top of it and then you've got those two elements creating a tension and I, that's what I that's what I like there's actually a lot of duality in my, in my work is, is it one thing or is it not is it a picture or is it writing I mean, I mean I'll definitely give the links yeah. I mean you know just hearing what you're saying now I'm thinking of the, the neon I'm not thinking actually it might look different but actually in your mind it might not be too different to the text basis because you are looking at one thing you may be taking a different inference from it and yeah. it, it always happens it's like it's that thing you think oh god you know I'm painting something that might be a bit different here and I had these real conflicts you know, a few years ago when I started making this sort of paintings and moving away uh, a little bit from the text work, but I'd created a body of text work that was it's almost has its own momentum then because people are interested, they want to know more about it, they want to commission work. And so there was a bit of a sort of dilemma of like, you know, I can't actually walk away from it and do something completely different. 
you know, artists just whatever you make as an artist, it's still it, it, the artist. It's still that one person that's made it. And I think uh, over time, as you just make things, you realise that they are actually connected and they are made by the same person. And you can take those elements from whatever different works of art that they've made. I mean, Gerhard Richter, for example, you know, has dramatically different phases of work and whatnot. But when he was talking about it, he says, it's fine, it's all still by me. And I can I can do what I like. I'm the artist. I'm allowed. Is what. In fact, that's what I took a lot from that. He just said, "I'm allowed." Of course, we're allowed. Why? Why have I even thought that we're not allowed? You know, we've made one series of work. You're still allowed to make another work that is a little bit different. It reminds me of the Carrie Reichardt quote: "I'm an artist. Your rules don't apply." Your rules don't apply. There aren't. Well, there are no rules anyway. You know, is there? No, you know, you can, there is nothing, you know, you can't do anything wrong in art. You just do it. If you don't know, I think Picasso said, didn't he? If you don't know what to paint, just start painting. Because then you'll find out what you want to paint. And I remember a brilliant quote by Ken Robinson. The, he was the sort of educator. But he was telling the story of the time when he was, so he was doing an art class. Little kids, little seven-year-olds. And uh, he goes up to this little girl and uh, he says, well, what are you drawing? And uh, she said, God. And he said, well, nobody knows what gods look like. And she said, they will in a minute. I love it. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's going to look like this, mate. Yeah. yeah, this is what <laughs> why, yeah. why did I not think of that? Yeah. What, you know, straight away you've put in a rule thinking, well, nobody, know, nobody knows what it looks like. Well, just wait a minute and I'll, exactly. I'll just bloody do it. And that's not what I said. Because... Because I'm not constricted by any rules. There's nothing stopping me. My mind is open. Mike, that is a brilliant place okay. to end it. Thanks cool. very much it's been a for pleasure. talking to Art Related Noise. It's been amazing having right. you on the show. Thanks a lot. Cheers. 